Race matters. 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 As always, before we begin, uh, I'd like to acknowledge that we are broadcasting on the Gadigal land of the Eora Nation. This land has been tended to for thousands of years by generations of Gadigal peoples before us. It'll continue to be a meeting place for sharing knowledge, stories, song by generations after us, just like we are privileged to do the same today right here at FBI Radio. I pay my respects to Gadigal elders past, present and emerging. We're broadcasting from Redfern. This is the birthplace of black theatre in this country and a site for resistance and resilience for Indigenous folk in Sydney. Welcome to Race Matters. This is a show hosted by people of colour, speaking with people of colour about the ways we understand and value our racial identities. I'm Darren Lasagas. I'm running solo on host duties today. And uh, how much do you think first-generation immigrants have shaped the identity of Australia? Today's guest is Jordan Shea. He is a first-generation Filipino-Australian writer and teacher, and he currently has a work showing at Belvoir Downstairs Theatre called Kasamakita. We'll be talking about how his mother's story inspired the work and uh, how it's continuing the conversation of uh, what exactly it means to be Australian. You are listening to Race Matters. My name is Darren Lasagas, and if you're a first-generation immigrant, uh, you could probably attest your understanding of Australia having been shaped by your parents. Uh, Kasamakita is a new work premiering at Belvoir Downstairs Theatre right now. It's by Jordan Shea, whose works have been produced, developed, and published by uh, main stage theatre companies as well as a bunch of indies, and Kasamakita brings uh, his mother's story to life on stage. Jordan, thanks so much for joining us. No worries, Darren. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Uh, uh, before we dive into Kasama Guitar, mm. I want to step back a bit to about a decade ago. Uh, we went to the same high school. We, uh, did. we were a year apart. Yeah. What was it like getting to drama for you at, at that age? Getting to drama for me, yeah. like be, like being, well, it's really interesting because obviously being at a boys' school in two thousand five to two thousand and ten. You know, you're immediately kind of seen as a bit of a little bit of an outsider if you're into drama yeah. or the arts. But the school that we were at, um, <laughs> we were full of outsiders and freaks. I mean, I mean, I mean, yeah, we were full of kids that wanted to kind of express themselves. So I did really feel at home a lot of the time. I think though, the interesting thing was was when we were doing drama, I was always drawn to things that were like a bit beyond me, like old people's stories. Yeah, right. So I was always like, I full on knew who like. Miriam Margulies was I like I, I don't know who that is. Who's no, that? The woman that plays Professor Sprout on Harry Potter. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, I was just like, and I knew like her theatrical history. I was just really interested in all these like old white people. Like I knew who Sir Lawrence Olivier was. He's oh this yeah, British actor. You know who that is? I but, know who that one is. Yeah. Yeah, that's no, that's good. That's good. I'm a queer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think so, is he, according to some books? I don't yeah, know. yeah. He's, he's long dead now. But anyway, so um, lots of lots of things like that. And I was always just attracted to, yeah, older, emotionally driven stories. Yeah, right. It was really weird. And that, that separated me from the pack a bit. Yeah, what were the rest of the drama kids saying about that? They just like to swear. They just like <laughs> to swear and do contemporary stuff. And they just love, you know... <laughs> you know, big kind of rough 
guys, but going to a boys' school and, you know, being into drama, it's so, so queer-inducing. It's <laughs> funny. So. Yeah, but even then, like, I tried to get into drama too, but it didn't run in my year, unfortunately, but it seemed like a very boysy thing. Like, it they're is always bit. doing, like, like the monologues were just very boysy, like, men. Like, they're always men with yeah. problems. Exactly. I'm doing air quotes for the yeah, listeners, yeah. but, like like with problems and for me I actually remember very well reading because we were doing monologues and I remember reading a monologue by a playwright and it was an Australian monologue and it was like of a tradie and I remember thinking wow this is so not me I couldn't I could do the voice and stuff but I remember thinking this is so not me is there something for me and the teacher at the time uh, I think I don't know who it was, but they, they were pretty... They were like, oh, no, there's not much out there for you, for someone like you. Interesting. What did they mean, and, do you think? Uh, oh, I don't know. Just this biracial guy that yeah. just like walked in and it was very much like, oh, I don't know what it meant for for someone like me. I think it yeah. meant for someone who probably wasn't overly masculine, mm. who probably wasn't heteronormative, and who probably just wasn't, you know, into swearing and into being blokey. Yeah. I think that, I think that was it. You know, because I remember taking pieces to them from really famed, you know, Asian artists, Asian writers and queer artists. And often it was kind of put to the side a bit Mm. because I think they thought it was a bit taboo. Yeah. Fortunately enough, you know, working as a teacher myself, I'm seeing a bit of a change, which is good. Yeah. That makes me happy. Yeah. When did it become apparent to you that your, you know, ethnic identity had a bearing on the types of roles that you wanted or were given or even that you created for yourself? Well, I think the biggest thing for me was um, I went to to acting school. So I finished uh, my secondary schooling in 2010 and went to acting school. And I, I just played a variety of roles that would essentially be deemed colorblind casting. I don't like the use of that term. No. It's really problematic. Yeah. But, I mean, it's... Um, but, you know, then I wasn't playing any roles that were catered for someone who was of South Asian or Philippinex mm. descent. Um, and for me, I was like, this is really boring. The language, it was the way that I was playing roles, you know, because I was an actor first, that were really... The way that they were being said, because they were written by white people were inherently Caucasian. Yeah, right. Which, look, isn't a problem because a lot of actors are Caucasian Mm. and white, so there is a way of white people speaking. And I was like, man, I really wish that there was something out there that would understand a, you know, mixed-race way of speaking. You know, being Filipino yourself, Mm -hmm. anecdotal. Yeah. Being anecdotal, being forthright, you know, these... You know, those... Yeah, those kinds of things... And it didn't come along for a while. And then, you know, fast forward, was at VCA in 2016, doing um, doing the playwrights course. And I had a really inspirational teacher there, Ramondo Cortese, a great writer. And he said to me, you should really write what's in your head. And yeah. I was like, oh, I have all these ideas. And no, you should write the voice that's in your head. Mm. And I started to do it and it just happened. Yeah. And that for me was was it. Yeah. That's, Yeah. That, that for me, I was like, yep, I'll just do it like that. I can write these, you know, big, brassy Filipino female characters that only I knew. Yeah. And that's what mattered. Or I can write these flamboyant Filipino men that, that have inhabited my life. Yeah. And I felt that that was me. That was my responsibility. So I stopped acting 
and I felt it was entirely my responsibility to write those characters. That's amazing. I know yeah. you're involved with, uh, I'm pretty sure, like a community of Filipino writers oh, uh, in Australia, yeah. especially for screen and for stage. Yeah. Can you tell us about uh, your experience within that? Yeah, well, I mean, I've really started to discover, like, some of the most incredible, not discover for anyone, but discover for myself, the most incredible writers, makers, dramaturgs, actors out there. I mean, I, I work, I'm working closely with Von Patiag. Yeah, he's been on the show before. Oh, Love Von Patiag. Oh, yeah. Von's the best. Von's yeah. the best. And he's he's killing it because, you know, you know, we're all just about normalising the Philippine X experience mm. and bringing it to a wider Australian community, I think. Um, and Miranda Aguilar is another one, wonderful playwright. Um, Jules Oculo, um, all these these really really top, you know, writers. And I'm just talking about theatre. There are poets out there. There yeah. are poets, dancers. All these people that are just killing it. Fortunately, this year I've worked with predominantly Filipino actors. Amazing. As well, yeah. yeah. I've worked with predominantly Filipino actors, and for me, that's a real gift because I'm writing for them. And they deserve roles that they know and within their context. One review recently described Kenneth Morales' portrayal of Antero in Kasama as authentic, and that's because I don't think he's playing. I think he is. He I is that person. Yeah, yeah, he is. He is, yeah. and that's special. It's so special. If you've just joined us, you are listening to Race Matters. We have Geordie Shea in the studio with us talking about his new work, Asami Qatar. It's on at uh, Belvoir Downstairs Theatre and it's on now until the 7th of December. Uh, Jordan, walk us through how the story of Kasama Qatar became apparent to you. Well, yeah. Okay, so it started really... I mean, if I could be honest, it was the beginning of it 45 years ago with my mother stepping off that plane, you know, at Charles Kingsford Smith Airport. Yeah. 1974. Um, but I, I originally wanted to write a play about the Colombo plan. Mm-hmm. So the plan to get South Asian students into Australia to study in Canberra. And I actually wrote a pitch for it to a development uh, program at the Q Theatre at the Joan in Penrith. And I lost the, it actually, my computer crashed and I lost the no entire way. thing. Yeah, yeah, I lost the entire thing. That That's true. I lost the entire <laughs> pitch document. And I thought, you know what? No, I should write about my mum. Went to the Philippines, um, which was like a bit of a, you know, if you want to use that gross term, homecoming. Yeah. And went back to Baguio and met my an uncle that I'd never met for the first time who mm. gave me all these pictures with things written on them from my mum's nursing days. Basically had the equivalent of like a cultural breakdown Yeah. in a good way. It was very cathartic and I thought, I can't ignore this. Mm. But I said, this project is bigger than me, so I need help to write it. Came back to Sydney and interviewed most of those nurses um, from Balmain in 1974, the Filipino nurses. Um, And I just pitched that to a development company, the Q Theatre at the Joan in Penrith. They took it on board. We did two developments with it. Um, And then Belvoir 25A, the independent um, season downstairs, opened their applications. I sent it through and we got it. And it's been published. It's been reviewed. Um, The video on SBS has been shared like thousand times um all these leading health practitioners have shared it as well because it kind of acknowledges the long-standing contribution of filipino nurses yeah oh yeah it's just unpacked it i mean it's weird it's the first time that i think my mum and i have um kind of been out there on social media and you can see us and like all these people all these people say really lovely things and they say weird things is your mum loving it no she's if you watch the video (laughs) she admits that she's an extremely shy and private person (laughs) 
Yeah. Um, she saw the show yeah. and she was really happy because I did respect quite a bit of her privacy. Mm. I mean, it's more of, it's universal to them, to mm. those that experience it. It's not just her story. She did influence directly the persona of one of the characters, but mm. she is really, really happy. Yeah. And I'm, I'm so happy with the impact it's having. I want to talk about one of the other personas uh, in the play. Uh, I feel like distilling the the first-generation immigrant experience into something that works on stage can sometimes be really hard because a lot of the feeling of what it's like to be in a new place is this sense of ongoing, like, invisible, accumulative oppression, wow. you know, yeah. disconnect, yep. unfamiliar- unfamiliarity. How did you work on creating the character of the matron? Oh, this is really interesting, right? Because you can't really write a, a migrant play without in Australia without just putting a racist character, yeah. sadly. If you yeah. if you ignore racism, yeah. you're ignoring a large part of this country's personality, mm. sadly. Mm. And I really I say that really, really sadly. Yeah. Um I created the character of the matron originally as a real, real tough nut funny woman. Yeah. Right? But as the developments went further, the director, um, Aaron Taylor, said to me, I think we're looking for the malice. We need malice. So this character is really important because, in a way, she actually assists them, not in a white saviour context, but in a way that she actually sees um, the three, well, one, Nancy, really, the central character, as being really, really something to watch, Mm. you know, and comments on it. But at the same time, you come and see the play, listeners, (laughs) Nancy turns the tables on her and gets the upper hand. Um, She's harsh. She's unwelcoming. But I had to humanise her a bit, so I because that kind of gets a bit boring if you're just harsh and continuously yeah. welcoming. So you pepper it with ignorant humour. Mm. Um, there's a big difference, you know. Mm-hmm. You just kind of pepper it with, with <laughs> just this woman that's really at the end of her days, probably an alcoholic, and yeah, yeah, and that's it. But it was hard. She was one of the hardest characters to write. I can imagine. Yeah, she was one of the toughest characters to write because 1970s racism is very different to racism today. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and that was really interesting for me because someone said to me, they said, oh, look, she's probably no more racist or homophobic than anyone of that time. And that's true. Absolutely, she's yeah. She's just a small part yeah, yeah. of the general public. And also your perception of what racism is when you first arrive in a country is mm. so... I mean, you can't know what it is you no. know, until you experience it or have time to process it. I know my my dad tells me stories about when he first immigrated to Australia from the Philippines and how he would interpret some actions people would have against yeah. him as being racist. Like some, some people would go on the defensive. Like he would leave a chemist and this guy would, you know, ask to check his bags, but he noticed that he wouldn't check anyone else's bags. And I was like, this guy just thought I was going to steal something because yep. I'm brown. Yeah. 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 And that, that's interesting. I'm, I'm finding, I have to say, this is really funny, but when when, you know, kind of young white work people come and see the show and they see the racism and they see me after the show and they say, wow, you know, oh, I got so mad at that racism, you know, that I saw. And I said, oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah. That's, that's nice. Maybe you, should get, maybe, yeah. <laughs> maybe you should get angrier if you see it in public. Absolutely. If you see yeah. someone move their bags, you yeah. know, if yeah. you see someone. It's the know. little things, isn't it? Like just oh, the, little, the oh. little moments little of microaggressions. Little yeah. moments of checking privilege. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think Darren is the biggest thing as well. Yeah. I think we continuously... Even me, right? This play is set in Balmain, yeah. the inner west of Sydney, which was a poor man's part of Sydney in the 70s. Now it is a very wealthy, very extravagant, gentrified part of Sydney. And I have to really be careful because what about the stories coming out of Western Sydney? Yeah. 
you know, what about, because there's a big difference between inner city, you know, Filipino people. Absolutely. Uh, you know, being young and stuff. And that's it. You have to just be really careful. And yeah. I have to check my privilege with writing this as well. Yeah, completely. Um, how has Kasama Guitar changed your relationship with your mother? It's made, um, it's made me understand her more. Yeah. Um, I, I think if, you know, and I'll, I'll say this, I'm quite happy to say this. You know, I'm a pretty effusive, quite emotional, open person. And I believe in saying things to people that really matter when you can, because I don't know how long people are mm. here for. And my mother's the opposite. But writing this story and really dramatising the sacrifices, checking my privilege and doing all that, I understand. I understand her more and I'm grateful for her. Um, and it's made, it's, you know, we've always had a really strong relationship. My dad's a much more kind of effusive, eloquent guy and quite emotional. And for me, it's really about, yeah, it's made my relationship with her much stronger. I'm and, so happy yeah. to hear that. <laughs> yeah, it, it has, it has, yeah. it has. Yeah. Uh, Jordan, we are uh, close to running out of time, but there is a question that we run past all our guests when they come through on Race Matters. Uh -huh. Jordy, when did you realise your race made you powerful? Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> When did I realize that my race made me powerful? Um, I think it... Uh, okay, yeah. You know what? It was Carriage Works last year with the Centre for Asian Australian Performance and I wrote a 20-minute piece that was showcased and I was embraced by this community of people, of allies, of Philippinex people, and they were so moved by it and they said, thank you. That, for me, is etched in my mind forever. That's beautiful. Because yeah. it made me keep going. They said, thank you. Yeah. And I, I just didn't understand until the next day. So that, for me, made me realise that my race was powerful. Amazing. Yeah. Jordy Shea, thank you so much for joining us it's, on Race Matters this afternoon. So good to see you again. You after, oh, I love it. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. Kasama <laughs> uh, Guitar by Jordan Shea, uh, Belvoir Downstairs Theatre. It's on now until the 7th of December. Uh, tickets are just 25 bucks for the whole season. We'll pop the links up online at fbiradio.com. Jordy, thank you so much again. My pleasure. Thank you, Darren. Race matters. 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 Race matters.